Hey, good morning. Welcome to First Church. So glad you guys are here and decided to celebrate today with us. We've been praying for you guys, and we hope that this will be a service where you are touched by God's Word as we worship Him. And if you're new here, my name's Chad. I'm the lead minister, and like I said, so glad to have you. And we are one church that meets in three different locations, and so we have family right now out at Stone Candy and Vertigris that are tuning in, as well as those watching online. So if you would, put your hands together and welcome them into our family room here today. Now, most of you are aware that some people, when they get excited, they like to talk. And some people, when they get really excited, they talk a lot. And that was the case for a little boy who attended the Pennsylvania State Fair with his family. He just finished riding a new roller coaster ride, and a TV reporter caught up with him and asked him what he thought about the ride. And when she put the mic in his hand, well, take a look and see what happened on live television. What did you think about the ride? It was great. And apparently, I've never been on live television before, but apparently sometimes I don't watch the, sh I don't watch the news because I'm a kid and apparently every time, apparently Grandpa just gives me a remote after he watched the Powerball. <laughs> Tell me about the ride. What did you think about the ride? Well, it was great. Because apparently you're spinning around and apparently every time you get dizzy. Yeah. That's all you do is get dizzy. Fun. Yeah. And I've never ever been on live television. I never ever <laughs> be on live television. Are you excited? Yeah, and apparently I already went down the super slide. When I went down the water, I was scared half to death. I just freak out. I love that interview, and I bet it's one that reporter will never forget. And I think, apparently, it must have been one of his vocabulary words for the week, because he said it like 14 times in that minute segment. You could tell he was definitely excited. I have to admit, I'm at a little bit of a disadvantage this morning, because I don't know how you entered this service. I'm not going to put a mic up and ask you. And so I wonder if you walked into the service excited, or maybe you're not excited at all. Maybe you're a little apprehensive to be here. I don't know if you've been looking forward to today, or maybe you're just looking forward to having lunch at Grandma's house afterwards. I don't know if you really want to be here, or somebody else just really wants you to be here. But I do know one thing. We're excited you're here. And God's excited you're here. Because what happened on this day some 2,000 years ago, it happened for you. And it happened for me. Because this day proves, without a shadow of a doubt, that Jesus' forgiveness is greater than our failure. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. And in order for me to do that, I want to tell you a couple of fish stories. So let me see with a show of hands at all of our campuses, how many of you guys have ever been fishing before? Let's see. How many of you guys enjoy fishing? Yeah, just about all of you. Now, how many of you are sitting beside somebody who really enjoys to go fishing? Let me see those hands. Okay, a whole lot of you. I figured as much. If you've ever been fishing, you probably have a good fishing story, or at least you've heard a good fishing story. And typically, uh, fish stories, fishing stories, they're a little bit far-fetched, a little bit embellished. It's kind of like the time that we took my son Alice when he was about three years old fishing for the very first time. And with some help, he caught a fish, and we took a picture of him with his fish holding it, and he was just so proud of this little bitty fish that he caught. He told everybody about it, and he couldn't wait to tell his friends and the kids at his preschool and family members. He was just thrilled. And yet every time he told the story, 
the fish got a little bit bigger. You know what I'm talking about? He would start off and say, yeah, hey, I caught a fish about this big. And he was pretty honest. But then it got a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. And by the 10th time he told the story, he had caught a whale. You know, it was huge. And no one coached him to do that or told him to do that. That's just kind of the nature of fish stories. Well, we're going to look at a fish story this morning that seems incredible. It seems unbelievable. It seems a little far-fetched, honestly. But it's not. It actually happened. And it happened at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, three years before the cross. Now, I know what you might be thinking, Chad, it's Easter. We came here to hear about what happened at the end of Jesus' ministry, you know, his death, burial, resurrection. We're going to get there, but before we do, let's rewind the tape a little bit to three years before the cross, when Jesus started his ministry on the shores of a lake known as the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus started his ministry on the shores of this body of water. And there were some fishermen out fishing this day. And they hadn't caught a thing. They were professional fishermen. They did this for a living. And they'd been fishing all night and yet hadn't had any luck, hadn't caught a thing. And so as Jesus passing by them along the shore, he yells out to them, shouts out to them. He says, hey guys, how's the fishing? And they responded, hey, it's not going real well. We've been out here all night and we haven't caught a thing. And Jesus says, well, why don't you throw your nets on the other side? Why don't you throw your nets on the other side of the boat? And I bet at this point you probably heard some grumbling from these professional fishermen. I mean, these were professionals. They did this for a living. They don't know who this guy is along the shore. And if they did recognize him, he's a carpenter from Nazareth. Who does he think he is? These are professionals. And yet he's giving them fishing advice. I don't know about you guys, but I hate unsolicited fishing advice. Now, I'm not a great fisherman. I'm not good at all, really. I'm pretty bad. So that's why when I go fishing, I only go with people who are as bad as I am because I don't want to be embarrassed. And so it never fails when I go fishing. Uh, the person who I go with or the people I go with, they'll start to catch some before me. And after the second or third one that they catch, and I don't have any yet, it starts, the unsolicited fishing advice. And I'll start to hear things like, uh, why don't you stand in a different way? Or why don't you hold your rod and reel differently? Or uh, why don't you chew gum? That'll help you focus. And I want to say, hush, you're just as bad at this as I am. Hush, you're no better than me. You're just lucky right now. And I want to tell that person that I'm with to hush, but typically it's my wife, and I don't want to get in trouble, so I don't say anything. But you know, I hate unsolicited fishing advice. So if I hate it, just imagine what these professional fishermen thought when this carpenter is telling them how to fish. But for some reason, we're not sure why, they do what he asked them to do. Maybe they just kind of thought, what's it going to hurt? We've been trying all night, haven't caught anything. Maybe they had heard something about this carpenter from Nazareth. And so, hey, let's, let's give it a shot. So they throw their nets on the other side of the boat. And Luke 5 verse 5 says, when they did... They caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. In fact, the Bible says that their boat was so full of fish that it started to sink. And when this happened, one of the fishermen, his name was Peter, Peter runs to Jesus, falls down at his feet, and he says in verse 8 of Luke chapter 5, Away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. In other words, Peter is saying, Jesus, you don't want anything to do with somebody like me. Peter recognizes Jesus is someone from God, sent from God. He's not sure exactly who Jesus is in this moment, but Jesus is a righteous, good, holy man sent from God. Peter's not. Peter knows how sinful he is. Peter knows how messed up he is. Peter realizes who he is. He knows what he, what he does when no one else is watching. And so Peter says, Jesus, get away from me. 
you don't want to be associated with somebody like me. And what Peter didn't realize in that moment is that he was exactly who Jesus came to spend time with. Jesus came to spend time with someone like him, to get to know someone like him. And it's the same for us as well. Jesus came for people like us. And so Jesus invites Peter and the other fishermen that day to follow him, and they do. And Mark 1.18 says that once they left their nets and followed him. See, Jesus saw something in these men that they didn't see in themselves. Even with all of their flaws, Jesus had a place for them in his plan. And it reminds me that Jesus has a place for me. That's one reason why I get so excited about today. Because Jesus came for someone like me. Even with all of my hurts and my bad habits and my hang-ups, Jesus loves me, wants to know me and have a relationship with me. And the same is true for you. Regardless of your past, regardless of what you've done, regardless of what's been done to you, Jesus came for you. I think the Walt Disney Corporation took a huge risk when they turned the classic tale The Hunchback of Notre Dame into a children's movie. You guys probably know the story. You've probably watched the movie or maybe you've read the classic tale. It's all about this guy, this character named Quasimodo. And Quasimodo, he's a hunchback and he's disfigured and he's embarrassed to be around people. So he spends his entire life hiding out, living in a bell tower. He wants to be around people. He desperately wants to be around people. But he's afraid of what people might think of him if they would actually see him. But one day in his town, they have what's called the Festival of Fools, where everyone wears a costume, everyone wears a mask, and so Quasimodo decides, this is my chance, this is my opportunity. I can go down and mingle with the people, and they'll just think I'm wearing a costume, they'll just think that I'm wearing a mask, and so he does just that. He goes down and he spends time with people, and he's the life of the party, everybody loves him, he has a great time, and he loves being around people. But then at the end of the day, they have what's called the best costume contest. Quasimodo tries to slip away, but before he can get away back to the bell tower, somebody grabs him, they throw him up on the stage, and they say, hey, here's the best costume, here's the best costume, here's our winner. And so everybody applauds and cheers, and they try to take off Quasimodo's mask, but he's not wearing a mask, it's actually him. And when people realize that, they begin to laugh, snicker, point at him, Some are just stunned and shocked. Quasimodo slips back off to the bell tower, and in the classic tale, there's a famous line, and when I read this for the first time, I never forgot it. He says to himself, why did I ever give someone a chance to see who I really am? See, I think that's Peter in this moment. Peter realizes Jesus is a holy, righteous man, and he's not. So he doesn't want Jesus to see who he really is. And Jesus says, no, no, Peter, I know you better than you know yourself, and I still want to spend time with you. I still want to get to know you. You still can follow me. And the same is true for you today. Jesus knows you better than you know yourself, and he still loves you. He still wants to get to know you. Jesus came for people like us. And so when Peter figures this out, He follows Jesus and he is all in. He follows Jesus with reckless abandon. I mean, when Jesus walks on water, it's Peter who jumps out of the boat, the only disciple to jump out of the boat and walk on the water with Jesus. I mean, he is all in. 
Uh, Jesus, when he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? It's Peter that speaks up and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He gets the answer right because he's been listening. And when Jesus is arrested in the garden, it's Peter that draws a sword to defend Jesus. He's all in. Peter followed Jesus like no one else. But Peter had a problem. Peter had a tendency to act first and think second. And when I think about that, I can relate with Peter. I have a tendency sometimes, and probably you do too, to act first and think second. So yeah, Peter jumps into the water and walks on water with Jesus, but you guys remember the rest of the story. He got distracted, took his eyes off Jesus, and he started to sink, and Jesus had to rescue him. Yeah, it was Peter that spoke up and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, when no one else did. But just a few moments later, Peter is trying to correct Jesus when Jesus tells the rest of his plan. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. Yeah, it's Peter that drew a sword to defend Jesus, but he also cuts off the ear of one of the guards that were there to arrest Jesus. And Jesus has to say, put your sword away. You're not here to do that. This is all part of God's plan. You're trying to interrupt God's plan. Peter had a tendency to act first and think second. And like I said, I can identify with Peter. I've done that a lot throughout my life. And every time that I act first and think second, it always leads to shame. It always leads to regret. And Peter, he was fluent in the language of regret. And so am I. And probably so are you. We're all fluent in the language of regret, aren't we? And one moment that Peter probably regretted more than any other happened on the night that Jesus was executed. The soldiers arrest Jesus, and all of Jesus' disciples and followers, they scatter. They're scared for their lives. But Peter tries to stay close to Jesus. And so he puts a hood over his head, and he goes to a courtyard just right outside of the area where Jesus was being held captive. And so he waits in this courtyard trying to find out what's going to happen to Jesus. And a crowd starts to gather, gather there in this courtyard. And it was cold that night, so someone started a fire. We're not sure who it was, but somebody started a fire in the courtyard. And it's interesting, when you look at the passage in Greek, we're told that this was an Anthrochean fire. It's a special, unique Greek word, Anthrochean, which means a charcoal fire. And so they start this charcoal fire, and Peter's there, and he starts to warm his hands around this anthrochean, this charcoal fire. And as he's warming his hands, that's when it happens. Somebody taps Peter on the shoulder. Says, hey, I know you. You were one of those guys with Jesus. You're one of his followers. You're one of his disciples, aren't you? I know you. And Peter is caught. There's nowhere for him to hide. There's nowhere for him to run. And so Peter responds in Mark 14, 71, I don't know this man you're talking about. In other words, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I don't know that guy. I don't have a clue he is. I'm just here to see what, what's going on. I just wanted to see why there's a crowd formed here. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know that man. I can identify with Peter again. See, Peter here in this moment, he denies Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. And time and time again in my life, I've disappointed God. There have been moments of weakness when I've rebelled against God when I knew better. There have been moments of pressure in my life when I've ignored God when I should have been listening to Him. I've had moments when I've acted first and thought second, and that's always led to shame and regret. And in those moments, the only thing that I really want 
is a do-over. You ever had one of those moments where, uh, where you wish that you just could have had a do-over? Where you could just rewind the tape and fix things? I think we've all had one of those moments, probably more than one. A couple of weeks ago, Allison sent me to Walmart to pick up a few grocery items that she forgot. And so just five or six items. And I was trying to check out in the self-checkout line. And as I'm checking out, my phone rang. And it was my brother. And I should not have answered. I should have waited till I got out of the store. But I went ahead and took the call. And I'm talking to him on the phone. And as I'm talking to him, I got distracted. And I knocked off a bottle of buffalo sauce, you know, wing sauce, off the side of the self-checkout thing. And it fell on the floor. Now, it wasn't a glass bottle. It was a plastic bottle. So it didn't shatter, but the lid popped off and buffalo sauce splattered everywhere. I mean, it went all over the floor. And I kind of jumped back. There was a lady next to me in, in another self-checkout line. She jumped back to prevent the buffalo sauce from hitting her. And it was a huge mess. And so the Walmart employees, they surrounded us and they brought mops and stuff and put up signs for people to stay out of the area. And I just kept apologizing, saying, I'm just so sorry. I'll pay for it. I'll help clean it up. You know, I was just so embarrassed. And they kept saying, no, no, don't worry about it. This happens all the time. You're fine. And I just kept saying, please let me help you. Let me pay for it. And no, 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 you're fine. And so they got it cleaned up. And as I was getting ready to walk off, I turned to one of the ladies. I was like, ma'am, again, I'm just so sorry. And she said, don't worry about it. She said, it's fine. This happens all the time. And so I turned to walk away. And as I turned to walk away, she goes, oh, and by the way. And I turned around and go, yeah. And she said, you preached a great sermon last week at church. And I thought, oh, no, she goes to first church. Ah, this is even worse, you know. You ever had one of those moments where you just wish you could have had a do-over? Uh, that was me in that moment. Now, I can laugh about that now. But, you know, I've had other moments in my life that haven't been very funny. Haven't been that funny when I wished I could have had a do-over. There have been moments in my life when I've really embarrassed myself. I'm really embarrassed those that I love, embarrassed my family. There have been moments in life when I've really embarrassed my God. And in those moments, if you're not careful, shame and regret, they will, they will overwhelm you, they will consume you, they will eat at you. And when they do, what happens is you have a tendency to drift. You just kind of drift through life, wishing that you could do life over again, wishing that you could have a do-over, but knowing that that's impossible. And I think that's Peter after the resurrection. See, it's interesting. Jesus defeats death. He rises from the grave. And he appears to his disciples multiple different times. And even though he appeared to the disciples multiple different times, for the first week or so, he never brought up the fact that Peter had denied him three times. But it was on Peter's mind. And so a week or so has passed. And what does Peter decide to do? Peter decides to go fishing. John 21, verse 3, Peter says to the other disciples, I'm going out to fish. And the other disciples said, well, okay, we'll, we'll go with you. Now, why? What's going on here? Why does Peter say that? Peter hadn't been fishing for three years. He hadn't been fishing since Jesus first called him to follow him. Remember what the Bible said, that they left their nets behind? Peter hadn't been fishing on a professional level for three years. Why now, after the resurrection, does he decide to go fishing? Well, Peter's excited that Jesus is alive. All of the disciples are. But now it's time for the next part of God's plan. Now that Jesus is alive, he's going to redeem the world, right? The gospel is going to go out. It's time for the next part of God's plan. And I'm sure Peter's thinking, Jesus is not going to want to use me as one of his workers anymore. 
I denied him three times. I knew better. I had all the evidence. I knew who he was. I knew Jesus better than anybody. And yet I denied him three times. I embarrassed myself. I embarrassed my fellow disciples. I embarrassed Jesus. I embarrassed my God. It's great that Jesus is alive, and I'm going to support that. And Peter's probably thinking, I know that God personally forgives me, but use me? He'll find somebody else who's more faithful. Peter's ashamed. Peter's discouraged. Peter's full of regret. And so what does Peter do? He decides to go back and do what he did before he met Jesus. He decides to go fishing. So Peter says to the other disciples, I'm going fishing. They go with him, probably because they don't know what to do either. See, they didn't publicly deny Jesus three times, but they all ran and scattered. They all technically denied him as well. And so they say, okay, let's go fishing. And they decide to go fishing on the same lake where they first met Jesus. And guess what happens? Jesus comes walking along the shore of that lake, the Sea of Galilee, again. This time it's after the resurrection. And Jesus shouts out to his disciples again, Hey, how's the fishing going? How's the fishing? And here's the thing, the disciples, they've been fishing for hours. And they hadn't caught a thing. Sound familiar? And in John 21, 6, Jesus says to them, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. You'll find some fish. And what happens next is a taste of deja vu. The Bible says when they did, when they did what Jesus asked them to do, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. John is the first disciple to realize who this stranger on the shore is. And so he shouts out, it's the Lord. And when Peter realizes that it's Jesus who just told them to throw their nets on the other side, Peter jumps out of the boat. And he swims to shore, leaving the other disciples behind to drag in this huge catch of fish on their own. He swims to the shore to go see Jesus. And when he gets there, do you know what Jesus is doing? He's fixing breakfast. He's cooking a meal. He's cooking fish over a fire. And he's not using the fish they caught. He already had fish on his own. And when Peter gets there, Jesus says to him, and he later says this to the other disciples as well, verse 12 in John 21, Come. And have breakfast. Now that might seem kind of odd to us, but there's a reason why Jesus does this. Because in this day and age, to have a meal with somebody meant that you accepted them. What's Jesus doing? He's letting Peter know, I still accept you. I still love you. And here's the more, here's an even interesting detail. Remember what I said that Jesus is fixing, cooking this fish over a fire? There's a unique Greek word that's used here. It's the word anthrokian, a charcoal fire. Remember I said it's a unique Greek word. It's only used twice in the entire Bible. Once in the courtyard where Peter denied Jesus three times, and the second time it's used when Jesus restores Peter after the resurrection. I think that's intentional because here Jesus is letting Peter know something. With the smell of charcoal burning, he's letting Peter know, my forgiveness is greater than your failure. And that's why Jesus does what he does next. Jesus asks Peter a question three times. And the question is, John 21, 15, do you love me? And Peter responds three different times, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Do you understand what's going on here? 
Peter denied Jesus three times around a charcoal fire, an Anthrochean fire. And three times, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me around a charcoal Anthrochean fire? Here, Jesus is letting Peter know, my forgiveness is greater than your failure. And Jesus even takes this a step further. Jesus does ask Peter, do you love me? But you see, in English, we only have one word for love. And so we say, hey, I love my wife, or I love my kids. And we also say, I love pizza, and we love, you know, Doritos, or I love UK basketball. You guys don't say that, but I say that. You know, we use the same word for love for everything, even though we know there are different levels of love. I don't love pizza the same way I love my wife. I don't love UK basketball the same Well, never mind, I'm not going to get into that. But uh, there are different levels of love. You guys understand that. We get that. In this day and age, there were multiple words for love, depending on the context. And so when Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? He uses a form of the Greek word agape, which is self-sacrificial love. Love, when you're willing to lay down your life for someone else, it's love that means I'm going to love you unconditionally. Jesus says, Peter, do you agapo me? Do you love me unconditionally? Are you willing to lay down your life for me? And look at how Peter responds. Peter says, yes, Jesus, you know I phileo you. That's a different word for love. And this word for love means brotherly love. It's friendship love. It's companionship. It's buddy love. So basically, Jesus says, do you love me unconditionally, Peter? And Peter responds, I love you like a friend. I love you like a buddy. Why does Peter do that? Jesus would have recognized immediately the difference in their language. See, here's the thing. Peter wants to say, yes, I agapo love you. I love you with all my heart. I would lay down my life for you. I love you unconditionally. Peter wants to say that. But he's just denied Jesus three times publicly. Peter had said over and over again that he unconditionally loved Jesus, and yet look what he did. He denied him three times. Peter knows that God fully forgives him, but he doesn't feel forgiven. He's still very much ashamed. He's still very much leery of getting back on board with Jesus' mission again or Jesus using him in any way because, hey, he just blew it big time. Shame and regret are eating at him. So Jesus asked him again, Peter, do you agape on me? And Peter says again, I phileo you. And Jesus asked him a third time, except on this third time, Jesus changes his language. And look at what Jesus does. He says, Peter, do you phileo me? He uses Peter's word. And Peter responds, yes, Jesus, you know I phileo you. Why did Jesus change his language? Because Jesus met Peter where he was. Jesus knows what Peter is feeling. And even though Jesus has declared that he's forgiven, he knows Peter doesn't feel forgiven. He knows Peter still feels unworthy. And so Jesus is saying, listen, just love me any way you can right now, and I'll meet you where you are. And if you will just open yourself up to me where you are right now, I will come into your life. And I'll take up more and more space in your life. And the more time you spend with me, the more I will restore you. The more I will transform you. The more I will change you. And the more you will feel like a child of God again. Let me illustrate it like this. Like you, when I was created, I was pure and clean but you know, it didn't take me too, li- too long to pollute the life that God gave me. 
I started to contaminate the life that God gave me with deceit and greed. I started to fill my life with things like selfishness, arrogance, and pride. And you know, my language, like this Tabasco sauce, sometimes had a bite to it. Didn't always say kind things. My actions, sometimes I had a bite to them as well. I wasn't always as nice to people, loving to people as I should have been. And one day I woke up and I looked at my life and I thought, this isn't who God created me to be. But you know, just like I can't extract the Tabasco sauce and coffee from this glass of water, I couldn't extract the sin from my life. I didn't know what to do. I wanted a do-over, but that was impossible. And that's when I met Jesus. And Jesus said, listen, you just open yourself up to me. Make room for me, however much room you can make at this moment. And I'll come in and I will pour life into you. And I'll take up more and more space as we spend time together. And I'll change you. I'll transform you. And pretty soon there won't be any room left for your regret and your shame. Pretty soon there'll just be room left for me. And you will once again feel clean and pure again. Guys, you don't have to be perfect to follow Jesus. No one is. You just have to be willing to open up your life to Him wherever you are right now. That was true for Peter. And it's true for us. And if you will open your life to Him, He will work in you so that once again, you will feel pure. You will feel as if you are what God has already declared you to be. I love this day because this day reminds me that God's forgiveness is greater than my failure and your failure. And that's why I love how this passage ends. In John 21, verse 16, Jesus says to Peter, take care of my sheep. In other words, I still have a purpose for you. You may not feel worthy, but I still have a purpose for you. All you have to do is open up your life to me where you are now. And maybe that's what some of you guys need to do today. Maybe you need to open up your life to Jesus. And I know what you might be thinking, but hey, I got a lot I need to fix. I got a lot of, guys, you can't fix your life. But you open up your life to Jesus now, make room for him, your life will soon overflow with him. Today at 3 o'clock, we're going to have a special time here at our North Garnett campus where you can get baptized in the Christ. If that's what you need to do, we invite you to come. But today, maybe what you need to do is make the decision, I just need to investigate Jesus more. Because the more that I investigate and the more I'm going to learn about his love and his grace and his forgiveness. So come back next Sunday. I know it's Easter and this is a day where a lot of people come to church. Come back next Sunday. And I want to give you a little bit of a teaser, okay? Next Sunday during the sermon, I am going to do something during the message that you've probably never seen done in church and you may never see done in church again. So come back next Sunday. We're going to have a lot of fun, okay? If that's not a tease, I don't know what is. So come back then. But wherever you are right now, Open yourself up to Jesus because he can redeem your greatest regret. No matter what you've done, where you've been, or what's been done to you, 
God's love is seismic. Jesus' forgiveness is seismic. It's bigger than anything you've ever done. It's bigger than anything you will ever face. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for this time we've had to celebrate the resurrection of your son. He is alive. And because he is alive, he reminds us that the end is never really the end. That we may not get a do-over like we sometimes want, but he can come in and make us new. So Father, I just pray if there's anyone today who needs to receive the new life that Jesus offers, they will do so. That our resurrected king would resurrect their life today. It's through the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.